You're listening to the eFree Lethbridge Podcast. It was a few weeks ago that we were taking a little family vacation into Calgary and Christine was still suffering from uh, the effects of the concussion, still does a little bit, but particularly then. And so we had to find a very quiet activity to participate in as a family. And we thought, what quieter space could there be than the brand new downtown Calgary library? And so we went down to explore that. It was wonderful, a beautiful light-filled space with great architecture, lots of things to do. And we were standing in what's known as the prow, which kind of stands over the street and a uh, LRT line runs underneath of it. And my son, looking out the window, says, it's weird to think that those people waiting to cross the street down there think they're the main character and to us, they're just an NPC. For those of you that don't play video games like me and need a translation, that's a non-playable character or like a supporting character, a background cast member. This is not the first time that he's had said something like that. He, I remember when he was much younger and following some YouTube personalities, he would say similar things. It's weird to think that I care so much about this person's latest video and they have no idea I even exist. It's pretty deep for a young teenager and younger guy. Who's the main character in your story? We all think we're the main character in our own story. In fiction, it's pretty clear who the main character is usually. For example, if you were to pick up the Lord of the Rings trilogy and read the back jacket, you might read something like this. In ancient times, the rings of power were crafted by the elven smiths, and Sauron, the Dark Lord, forged the one ring, filling it with his own power so that he could rule all others. But the one ring was taken from him, and though he sought it through Middle-earth, it remained lost to him. After many ages, it fell by chance into the hands of the hobbit Bilbo Baggins. When Bilbo reached his 111st birthday, he disappeared, bequeathing his young cousin bequeathing to his young cousin Frodo the ruling ring and a perilous quest to journey across Middle-earth deep into the shadows of the Dark Lord and destroy the ring by casting it into the cracks of doom. The Lord of the Rings tells of this great quest undertaken by Frodo and the Fellowship of the Ring. Now, Tolkien would probably be horrified at such a simplistic summary and setup to his story. He did love a lot of detail to describe his world. But he makes it clear, this back jacket makes it clear, who the main character of the story is. Or at least to the editor who wrote the jacket, who the main character is. It's Frodo. Frodo and the Fellowship of the Ring. Yet as I read the stories and watched the movies, I was much more intrigued by Samwise Gamgee. Samwise is Frodo's gardener who overhears this quest being given to Frodo and indicates his, attention, his intention to accompany Frodo on the quest, and he is the definition of a supporting character. Everything he does is to support Frodo on his quest. The, he, for example, he says, uh, Frodo says to him in the book, it would be the death of you to come with me, Sam, said Frodo, and I could not have borne that. Not as certain as being left behind, said Sam. But I'm going to Mordor. I know that well enough, Mr. Frodo. Of course you are, and I'm coming with you. And he does. All the way, encouraging Frodo whenever Frodo gets discouraged or too weak. There's lots of wonderful quotes and uh, anecdotes that we could pull from the book, but let me end with this one. 
Come, Mr. Frodo, Samwise cried. I can't carry it, the ring, for you, but I can carry you and it as well. So up you get, and he offers his back for Frodo to climb onto. Sam stays humble through this whole story, continually downplaying his own role in the quest to get rid of the ring. Frodo, in his mind, is clearly the hero of the story, the one who must carry the ring and suffer the consequences of it and complete the quest. Samwise is just the humble companion and helper. And when Frodo says that people will tell stories about Samwise, calling him Samwise the Brave, Samwise assumes that Frodo is making fun of him because he just cannot fathom anything like that happening. Something similar for me is happening in Acts chapter 9. Saul, or Paul as he's going to be better known, is going to become the main character of the book of Acts. There'll be a brief return to Peter in the next couple chapters, but from then on the focus is clearly on Paul and his mission and ministry. And yet the story of Paul's conversion and early ministry includes two intriguing supporting characters. We read about the first one in chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you get there, Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. And Ananias is reluctant to obey the Lord at first, which is completely understandable given Paul's reputation, but eventually he obeys, and then Ananias completely disappears from the story. We don't know anything else about him. We don't know how he became a Christian. We don't know how he came to Damascus. We don't know what happened to him after he uh, ministered to Saul. We know nothing about him. We know that he was a disciple of the way. We know that he knew how to hear Jesus' voice. We know that he obeyed even when it seemed ridiculously reckless to do so. And we know that after his initial resistance to obedience, he ministered to Saul with grace and love. He comforts Saul. He lays his hand on him as Saul is newly blind to indicate his presence with him. He calls him brother to indicate that he's part of the family. He instructs Saul. He he confirms to Saul that the one that he met on the road was Jesus and he is Lord. He is God and he is king. He heals Saul. He lays hands on him and restores his sight and it also results in Paul being filled with the Holy Spirit. He baptizes Saul, incorporating him into the community of faith, the community of believers, the family of God, and he feeds Saul to restore his strength. Now notice, little aside, baptism first, supper later. It's a good lesson for those of us who are following Jesus and have not yet been baptized. We have a baptism service coming up, and before you have lunch today, you should sign up to be baptized, because that's clearly... (laughs) It does indicate the importance of baptism, though. And so if you have not yet been baptized and want to make that public, we would love to work with you and walk with you in that process and love for you to be part of our service on May 28th coming up. Ananias is simply a supporting character in the overall story of the early church, and yet he's this crucial character in Saul's spiritual journey. 
In many ways, he confirms Saul's dramatic mystical experience as real. That really happened. That was really Jesus. He is really Lord. And he completes that experience for Paul. He heals the blindness, which is symbolic of Paul's spiritual blindness up until that point. So the complete healing only happens through Ananias. And and he gives the mission to Paul. Jesus tells him in his instruction that that. Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. And if you look at how Paul will tell this story for the rest of the book of Acts and in his letters to his churches, he clearly sees these two events, his conversion and his calling from through Ananias as one event, two parts of one story. Paul then becomes a witness after Ananias' ministry to him. Paul becomes a witness to Jesus' resurrection. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he's so convincing in his witness and his preaching that some of the Jews in the city of Damascus who can't refute him plot to kill him. If we can't overcome him with logic, let's just get rid of him. And Paul escapes by being lowered outside the city wall of Damascus in a basket. And he goes to Jerusalem. And this brings us to Verse 26 of chapter 9. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. This is understandable, right? If you go back to chapter 8, verse 3, you will read that Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. Go to the beginning of chapter 9. Saul's uttering threats with every breath. That's quite a bit of threats coming out. Every time he breathes, it's a threat and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So no wonder this is the last they knew about Saul, that he was eager to destroy the church. Is this some ploy of his to try to infiltrate the church, to destroy it from the inside? They're resistant to including him in their fellowship. And then look who shows up, verse 27. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles. Remember Barnabas? His real name is Joseph. But he was given the nickname Barnabas, which means encouragement's son, because this is what he did. He just encouraged people. He first showed up a, a couple chapters ago when, the, when they were talking about the believers sharing their possessions in Acts chapter 4. He was the, the example that, that Luke sets up as the paradigm to follow, someone who sold his field and gave the proceeds, all of it, to the church for the benefit of the church family. He clearly is playing the role of encourager and connector. And here he plays the role very well of encourager, connector, and guarantor for Paul. Let's read verse 27. Then Barnabas brought Paul to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And he also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Again, Paul's going to be the main character of the story. He's Jesus' chosen instrument to take the good news message of Jesus beyond the realm of Judea and Samaria out to the very ends of the earth. He's the one that's going to take the message of Jesus to the Gentiles, a work that continues today all around the world as people continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus. But the believers in Jerusalem don't know that. They're skeptical and scared. And Barnabas steps in. He guarantees Paul is a new man, transformed by encounter with Jesus. 
He confirms that Jesus has given Paul a mission to take the message to the Gentiles, and he testifies about Paul's boldness and narrow escape in Damascus. He's the guarantor of Paul's conversion. And based on this guarantee, based on this encouragement, Peter and James and the apostles embrace and enfold Paul, and he joins the community of faith until the Jews in Jerusalem can't refute him and decide they better kill him if they can't overcome his arguments. And so the community of faith sends Paul back to his hometown, Tarsus, way up north for his own safety. But Barnabas isn't done supporting Paul. If you continue to read through the book of Acts, you'll see that the first Gentiles convert to Christianity. It's part of our reading this week, this past week, and we're going to explore that a little bit more in next week's service. And the good news message of Jesus starts to take hold among Gentiles, not just Jewish converts and Gentile converts to Judaism. It really takes root in a city called Antioch, which is north of Jerusalem, The church leaders in Jerusalem hear about what's happening in Antioch just like they heard about what's happening in Samaria and they want to learn more and make sure that it's a work of God. So who do they send? Barnabas. Acts chapter 11 verse 23. When he, Barnabas, arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and strong in the faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. When you read that, doesn't Barnabas sound like the kind of person you want in your life? The kind of person who supports and encourages and cheers on what he sees God doing, even when it looks quite different than what was happening at First Church in Jerusalem. Because the expression of Christianity in Antioch probably included some Gentile customs and words and culture. But what does he do when he sees what's happening in Antioch? Verse 25 of Acts 11. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. Now, there's a relatively short time in the narrative between when Barnabas vouches for Paul and with the Jerusalem church and when Barnabas brings Paul to Antioch to minister, but it's about a decade, scholars figure, between those two events. For 10 years, Barnabas remembers Paul. Barnabas remembers his calling. Paul is the one to take the message to the Gentiles, and here we have Gentiles coming to Jesus I should go get Paul to be part of that. Barnabas remembered the impact that Paul had on Hellenistic Jews, Jews heavily influenced by Gentile thought and worldview and philosophy. And Barnabas thinks he'd be really good in the Gentile world. I should go get him. Barnabas remembers Paul's abilities to witness to the resurrection of Jesus. It's risky. It's risky for Barnabas to do this. I mean, Paul's ministry up until this point has resulted in death threats in two out of the three cities that he's ministered in. What's going to happen if he brings him to Antioch? I understand something of that risk. Again, it was about 10 years ago. I was in Hamilton getting my master's, and Pastor Ian, who was lead pastor of the church at the time, called me up and said that we were looking for a young adult's pastor, and did I know anybody who might fit the bill. And I immediately thought of Luke Watson. 
And I remember I talked to my wife, Christine, about this, and she said, you mean like, Luke? <laughs> You've all been part of those conversations. And I said, that's the one, that's Luke. And it, as soon as I recommended him to Ian, I started to get a little nervous, because it wasn't just like I, that Luke reputation was at stake, but my reputation was now at stake because I was the one who had recommended him. And I remember Ian saying that he was going to be in the area, and so on Halloween night, Luke and I drove to meet Ian, and I was nervous because I wasn't sure which Luke was going to show up, if it was going to be Luke <laughs> or if it was going to be the scholar, the thoughtful one, the one who's passionate about Jesus had a clear calling to ministry. And Luke did a great job. And he's still Luke, right? He's still Luke. But he has a clear calling to ministry. And I was convinced at the time, and I think over the past 10 years we've seen, that he's been good for our church family. He shaped us and helped us. It was risky, but it was good. Barnabas is willing to take a risk. This is an even greater risk than bringing Luke here. And to complete the story, for those of you that don't know, Luke has been here for 10 years. He's ended up marrying the lead pastor's daughter, so apparently that conversation went really well. And now he's part of that family, so that's great. Yeah, really good. Just like Barnabas sees what God is doing in the Gentiles and encourages them to keep going, keep pursuing Jesus, Barnabas can see what's happening what God is doing in Paul. And he encourages him in his calling. He brings him on as part of the leadership and teaching team of the church. And then about a year later, uh, Barnabas has become what, like the lead pastor of the Antioch church. And the spirit directs the church to send Barnabas, lead pastor, and Paul, who's at the bottom of a list of five, so like a junior associate, on what becomes known as Paul's first missionary journey. Think about this. You're the seasoned leader. You're the mentor. You're the senior leader in the organization, and you engage on a project, and it becomes known as the Apprentices Project. The order that names appear in the book of Acts is significant, often indicating the organizational structure of the ministry or the mission. If you look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1, the list of teachers in the church, you'll see that Barnabas is at the top. He's the lead pastor. Paul is at the bottom of the list. He's the junior associate. And they go out together. In Acts 13, verse 2, appoint Barnabas, lead, and Saul, junior. They go to Cyprus, which is Barnabas' home territory. Verse 4, so Barnabas, leader, and Saul, associate were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, the governor invited Barnabas, leader, and Saul, associate, to visit him. Verse 8, Elymas, the sorcerer, urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas, leader, and Saul, associate, said. Verse 13, Paul and his companions then left. Barnabas has gone from the leader of the mission, the top of the list, to and his companions in one stop in Barnabas's hometown. My challenge to you is be a Barnabas. Be a Barnabas. The call of Jesus is not to be the hero, but the servant of all. The call of Jesus is not to stand in the spotlight, but to shine the spotlight, to reflect the light to others. 
be a Barnabas. And so I want to give you a moment right now just to listen to Jesus, to listen to the Holy Spirit, and consider this question. To whom is Jesus calling you to be a Barnabas? Who is Jesus calling you to encourage? Who is Jesus calling you to disciple and mentor, to invite to come along with you in your ministry or your journey? Who is Jesus calling you to take a risk on? Who can you empower with your position and your influence? So I'll just give you a minute to to consider this. And if Jesus brings a name to your mind, write it down so you don't forget. To whom is Jesus calling you to be a Barnabas? You might not have heard anything specific because Jesus doesn't always respond in in the minute that we give him. But I would encourage you to continue this conversation with him after the service. Take some time this afternoon. If you didn't get a name, if nobody came to mind, I believe this is what Jesus is calling each of us to do. To come alongside someone and encourage them and to use our influence to influence others. So take some time and consider that. I have another question for you though. What is Jesus calling you to do as a next step of encouragement? And again, I'll give you a minute to just listen to the Spirit about this. What, to that person that he maybe gave you, what's the next step of encouragement? The next step of investment, of discipleship in their lives? Again, you may not have heard anything specific, but I would encourage you to keep asking, to keep following Jesus in this. What's the next step of discipleship for this person that you've called me to be a Barnabas to? Be a Barnabas. The thing about Barnabas is is that they don't always get it right. The Barnabas in Scripture didn't. John Mark is Barnabas's cousin. Barnabas vouches for him with Paul just as Barnabas vouched for Paul with the apostles. But it doesn't work out too well for John Mark because John Mark abandons their group, their mission, on their second stop. It's too difficult for him. Barnabas gave him too much responsibility too early. And the reality is that as you invest in other people and empower them and disciple them and mentor them and encourage them, you won't always get it right. Be a Barnabas anyway. Be willing to get it wrong for the sake of the kingdom. Take some risks for the sake of the kingdom. And don't give up. Be cautious about categorizing someone as a lost cause. That's not what Barnabases do. John Mark, again, after he abandons the mission trip, on the second mission trip that Barnabas and Saul are about to set out on, Barnabas wants to give John Mark a second chance. And Paul disagrees with that. And they disagree so vehemently that Paul and Barnabas end up splitting up. Paul takes Silas and goes off, and Barnabas takes John Mark, never to be seen again in the book of Acts. And yet that's not the end of the story. Because John Mark shows up again in Paul's letters as part of Paul's traveling ministry team. Towards the end of Paul's life, Paul writes to Timothy, another one of his protégés, and says to him, get Mark and bring him with you. He's very useful to me in ministry. Peter writes about John Mark, calling him his brother. John Mark is the same Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark. Be Barnabas. Don't give up. Don't be quick to write people off as lost causes. Keep 
pouring Jesus' life in you into them. You never know what might happen. And I recognize that, that this kind of lifestyle, being a Barnabas, costs. Barnabas kind of lives in obscurity, right? We don't know too much about him aside from these first few chapters, these middle few chapters in Acts. He goes from being the leader to, to unnamed. After the split with Paul, we never hear about Barnabas again. We don't know how his mission with John Mark went or what happened or how John Mark went from this pariah, this person, persona non grata, to, to a person that was useful and Paul wanted at the end of his life. We don't know what happened. He just kind of fades away. And yet his impact lives on through Paul because he's the one that encouraged the apostles to embrace Paul and through Mark. If the size of your heavenly mansion is a reflection of your faithfulness to Jesus, I suspect that Barnabas' mansion is at least as big as Paul's. In fact, I kind of wonder if, Barnabas, or if Paul lives on Barnabas Avenue because I'm convinced that while, Paul, or while Barnabas sorry, might fade away in the Acts story, he doesn't fade into obscurity in the eyes of God. We might not know what happened on that mission with John Mark, but God does. And what you do, your faithfulness, your mentorship, your investment, your sacrifice, your service, your encouragement may go unnoticed and uncelebrated in this lifetime, but God sees and God knows. And when you get to stand before his throne, he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. So be a Barnabas. Be encouragement's child. And this leads me to my, second, or my third question for you, because none of us got here on our own. Who has been a Barnabas to you? Who's encouraged you and invested in you and served you and blessed you to get you to the place where you are today? And I'll give you a moment to think about this and write their name down and make, this prom make a promise today, make a commitment to thank them, to be a Barnabas back to them, encourage them back. So take a moment and think about that. The call of Jesus is to serve, not to be served. To take the low position, to deny self for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the kingdom. Barnabas was a Barnabas because he followed Jesus. I am convinced that like Samwise, if Paul had said to Barnabas, someday there's going to be a church in Lethbridge, Alberta that's going to celebrate you, he would have thought that Paul was making fun of him. Because he would have said, I, I just follow Jesus. I just do what I think Jesus would do by his spirit. And Jesus not only calls us to live this life, he, he lived it for us. Because Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He demonstrated this through his ministry to the sick, to the poor, the possessed. He demonstrated this when he took the low position and washed his disciples' feet. And he demonstrated it ultimately when he went to the cross, giving his life so that we could live. We're going to celebrate that and remember that together this morning. I'm going to call the servers forward now to their tables to prepare and the worship team to come on up. If you were here with us on Good Friday, you'll, uh, we're going to do the same kind of thing. There's going to be a few options available for you. There's uh, bread that the servers will serve to you. They will wear a glove uh, to 
keep things nice and clean and sanitary. Uh, there's the pre-packaged communion if you prefer that. Please take that anyways because that's what we'll use for the cup. There's also a gluten-free option here at the front for you as well. The worship team's going to lead us in a couple of songs. I'm going to invite you to stand and then move. Yeah, you can stand up now. That's good. We can follow these step-by-step instructions. Uh, then you're going to, to get your communion elements, you're going to move in, come down, move out, and back to your seat. So you on the side, move in, down, and then out the outside. Same thing on this side uh, to receive your communion elements. Again, there's bread. Uh, there's the prepackaged communion if you prefer, but make sure you take that for the cup and there is gluten-free option. If you notice somebody around you that might have a difficult time getting to the front, uh, one of the ways that you can be a Barnabas in communion time is to serve them and offer to pick up the communion elements for them so that they don't have to uh, make their way up here. So just be aware of those around you. Once you get back to your seat, hold on to your elements. Uh, Chelsea and I will come and lead us in communion and we'll eat and drink together. So why don't you, uh, those of you at the front, Start, and uh, everybody else will follow as they come. Thanks for listening to the E-Free Lethbridge podcast. We'll see you next week.